If you want warmth, you must stand near the fire. If you want strength, you must withstand the weight. Like raw metal, through force and flame, we are tested. As the hammer falls, we are shaped, bent, made into something new. From scrap to substance, from crude to crafted, with every strike formed and made with purpose. If you want faith, you must be forged, refined by fire. Good morning, good morning, church. It's so good to be back together. I was in Moldova for about eight days with the mission teams from our church, and it was incredible. We had 50-plus people serving there over a couple of weeks, and uh, it's just awesome to see what God's doing. You know, the smallest, poorest country in the former Soviet Union, and just by Ukraine and Romania, and we've been going there and serving with orphans and, and state-run orphanages, and uh, God is using you, church. So you're praying your giving, your going is making an incredible impact. And some of you know we started Justice and Mercy International about 10 years ago uh, to do greater work in Moldova. And now today we've got about uh, 20 full-time people who are living in Moldova, social workers, psychologists, and vocational directors who are helping orphan children have a hope and a future and teaching about Jesus, discipling them. We have four houses now in Moldova. In fact, we owned a house in Moldova before we ever owned any property here in the United States. So I kind of love that about our church, you know. So, uh, but, you know, it's just amazing. And maybe God will call you to go one day, but you guys are making a huge impact and a huge difference. And I love being there. But I love being back here because I'm so excited about this series we're in. We're in this incredible series called Forged. And uh, if you've missed any of this series, go back and listen because God is forging all of us, right, into the image of Christ. We are being conformed to the image of Jesus. So we are being forged. It's that process of sanctification. And God takes the good things and the struggles, but he is forming something in us. And God is not finished with any of us yet. God's not finished with you yet. God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he's forging you. Now, in our series, we're studying this guy in the Bible named Joseph. All right, it's not the New Testament earthly dad of Jesus, Joseph. This is Old Testament, 13 chapters in Genesis, Joseph. And this guy is unbelievable, man. He just stays in love with God all of his life. And he goes through some pretty hard times and through some pretty big struggles. And we have all can kind of identify with his story. So let me just recap a little bit. If you've missed any of the weeks, I'll kind of bring you up to speed here. Joseph, you go back to Genesis 37. Joseph grew up in a great family. Right? I mean, his great-granddad was Abraham, like the Abraham, okay? Like Abraham who followed God, left the earth of the Chaldeans, went on this journey of faith. And when God was saying to his people, it's all about faith, following me, that's that Abraham, right? Abraham who I'm going to bring the Messiah from you, the redemption of the world. And so that's his great-granddad. And so then, you know, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Joseph. And Joseph grows up in this family. And Joseph has 11 brothers, right? So he's the second youngest. But when he's a young man, he has this dream. And God gives him this dream. And in this dream, he sees all of his brothers bowing down to him. He's like, hey, that's interesting, you know? And then, and then he has this other dream where his dad's even bowing down. And, and he goes to his brothers. He goes, hey, guys, what do you think about this? That doesn't go over real well, right? I mean, the older brother's like, are you kidding me? And, and already Joseph was the favorite of the brothers, his dad made him this coat of many colors. It was beautiful. And we see this generational sin that was passed down. Even in a good family, there was this generational sin that came down. And, and he was the favorite. 
He was the favorite, so he wore this coat of many colors around. And one day, his brothers at 17 had kind of had enough of him and said, hey, you know what, we're going to get rid of this kid. And they were going to kill him. I mean, that's not the way to handle conflict in your family, right? You need to sit down, talk about it, discuss it. But they ended up selling him as a slave and sent him down to Egypt. And they go back to their dad and they take the coat of many colors that that their dad gave him and they covered it in blood and said, look, a wild animal killed him. There's dad's heartbroken. But Joseph at 17 finds himself in Egypt. You can imagine being scared, being alone, and just thinking, what happened? They, my brother's own brothers betrayed me. And he ends up as a slave for this guy Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. But while he's there, man, he kind of does a great job. You know, we talk about doing a great job wherever you are. He just does a great job, does a great job, kind of keeps moving up, moving up, moving up, till he's running the household of Potiphar. He's like in charge. And you're going, wow, he's a slave, but, you know, things are turning around for him. It's getting okay until... Potiphar's wife begins to check him out. And the Bible says that Joseph was well-built and handsome. And she's like looking at him going, yoo-hoo, Joseph, you know, and he's like, run away, run away, right? And she's chasing him around all the time. And finally one day he goes in and everybody's gone. And there she is and she says, come to bed with me. And Joseph's like, no way, lady. Listen, one, you're married, okay? No, not gonna happen, right? I have too much integrity. Not gonna do that. And two, I'm not gonna sin against God. No way. And so she like attacks him and he runs out, like leaves his coat in her arms, takes off, runs out the door. Well, she goes to Potiphar and says, hey, look what your Hebrew slave, he tried to come and take advantage of me. Potiphar gets mad, throws him in prison. You're just going, really? I mean, this goes from bad to worse for this kid, right? Maybe you've been there in your life. You're just like, God, do you see? I haven't done anything wrong. Why am I going through this? Why did I lose my job? Why, why am I facing this health crisis? God, do you understand God's going, yeah, I got this. Hold on. Trust me. And so there he is in prison. And while he's there, the cupbearer kind of makes the Pharaoh mad, which never goes well. So he's there in prison. He has this dream. The chief baker has this dream. Joseph interprets the dreams. But the cupbearer forgets. He gets released. He goes back to work. Two years goes by, and Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh of all Egypt, has this dream, and he sees these seven fat cows and these seven skinny cows and the seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows and he's like anybody get this anybody know nobody knows and the cupbearer remembers after two years there's this kid down there in jail go get him he comes up pharaoh goes hey could you interpret this dream and joseph goes no i can't do it but god can I love that. He just gives the glory to God. Here's a guy who can release him, right? And he's like, no, no, no. My faith is in God, not in you, Pharaoh. God can tell you. Pharaoh's like, what does it mean? He goes, this is what it means. You're going to have seven good years. There's going to be seven years of plenty in the land, and it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And you better prepare now. You better start storing up grain because, you know what, those seven years are going to be really hard in that famine, and you need to start putting it all together. And Pharaoh goes, is there anybody in the kingdom as wise as this guy? You know what, Joseph? You're promoted. In fact, you're going to be number two in all the land. Everybody has to answer to you. You do whatever. Like, what? I mean, at 30 years old, you talk about from rags to riches. You talk about what just happened. This guy's now successful. All of a sudden, he's got money and power. He is a celeb. Everybody's trying to take selfies with Joseph, right? I mean, everybody wants to be around. This guy just went from nowhere to running the entire country of Egypt. How crazy is that? And here's what we're going to see today. Here's what I want you to see is this. Joseph was faithful in the hard times. And sometimes it's easier to be faithful in the hard times, right? 
Because we don't have another way out. But what will Joseph do in success? Will Joseph remain faithful to God even in the good times? We'll find out today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. So go back, first book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got some Bibles in the back. Grab one, put your name in it, it's yours, keep it. Uh, also, we'll put the scripture on the screen, but I want you to see this as you follow along with what God's Word says, or if you have a mobile device, access version. We left off last week, and Chase and, and T before did a great job kind of telling you what was going on, but last week we left off with the famine starts in the land. So the seven years of plenty is over. Joseph's been storing up all this grain. Now the famine comes, and everybody in the world is coming to Egypt to buy grain. And so pick up in chapter 42, it says in verse 1, when Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, right, living in Canaan, living in that land, with his, you know, still has 11 sons there. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I love that. Like, you know, the dad's going, dudes, do something, okay? I mean, like, what in the world? We're all starving here. And Jacob's like, come on, guys, I raised you better, hopefully. He continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Now, why is that? Well, if you were here the first week, we talked about this, that Jacob actually had two wives, right? Leah and Rachel. He actually ended up with four. It's kind of a whole weird deal. But, but anyway, it wasn't the way it was supposed to go down. But Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. He loved Rachel. Her dad kind of messed up the whole thing. And so Rachel couldn't have kids for a long time. Well, finally she had a boy, and it was Joseph. And so that's why he was the favorite. That's why Jacob protected Joseph. Then she had another son, Benjamin. So out of the 12 sons, man, Joseph and Benjamin were really close to Jacob's heart. So he's like, I've already lost Joseph eaten by wild animals. So he thought, I'm not losing Benjamin. You, the rest of you guys, the 10 of you, go ahead and go. I'm not worried about you, but leave Benjamin here, okay? <laughs> so Israel's sons, okay, Israel, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. God changes names in the Bible, right? To represent God moving in their lives. So Israel's sons, they become the 12 tribes of Israel. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan. Also, now Joseph was the governor of the land. See this whole thing getting ready to set up here? The person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Isn't that incredible? All those years earlier, God gave Joseph this dream. You're going to be a leader. You're going to be a spiritual leader. And, and it's coming to fruition here. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Now, why didn't they recognize him? Well, think about this. It's been 20 plus years, right? He's 17 when he was sold into slavery. He's 30 when he becomes kind of the head guy, the prime minister of Egypt. And then it's seven years of plenty. So that's 20 plus years. Now we're into the famine. So you're talking 20, 21, 22 years. And Joseph is dressed like an Egyptian. He speaks like an Egyptian. He's got, he's second in command. They're thinking, no, that would never happen, right? 
So they don't even recognize Joseph. And you're thinking, okay, Joseph, this is your time to get them back, right? I mean, you talk about they sold you into slavery. This is your time to get them back. But then he remembered his dreams about them, and he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the son of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. (laughs) Man, don't you know that just pierced Joseph's heart? That's me, man, that you're talking about. Joseph said to them, as just as I told you, you were spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. For three days. Guys, I I believe these three days were so crucial in Joseph's life. He's thinking, I've got the power. I've got the success. I can do whatever I want to these guys. They're the ones who sold me out. This is my time to get revenge. And I believe, man, over three days, he just prayed, prayed, prayed. God, what do I do? God, what do I do? Well, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. And then look at these four words. For I fear God. Wow. God, I must submit to you. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. And that's why this distress had come on us. I mean, that was 20 years earlier. And they're still carrying this guilt around, right? Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It costs you more than you ever want to pay, and it leaves you longer than you ever want to stay. For 20 years, 20 years they're holding on to this. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. Imagine hearing your own brothers talk like that. He's weeping, and then he came back and he spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. Let me just summarize what happens in the rest of 42, 43, and 44 that we're going to see today. They go back to their dad. They take the grain back to their starving families. And when they get back there, they open the sack and they see their silver in the sack. And their dad's like, what were you thinking? You were supposed to pay for this, right? Not take this. And they go, this guy, he spoke harshly to us. And and here it is. And they sit there and they feed their families and everybody's okay for a while. And, And then the grain runs out. And they go back to their dad and they say, hey, we've got to go back, but we've got to take Benjamin. Their dad's like, no way, I've already lost Joseph. I'm, I'm not losing Benjamin too. And then they go, dad, everybody's getting hungry. And so a few times go on, a few days go on. Finally, they go, dad, we've got to take Benjamin. And, and brokenhearted, he gives up Benjamin and, and they go back down to Egypt. And they go and they see Joseph and Joseph tells his steward, say, hey, bring them up to my 
place. And they go up there, and there's a dinner set up for them, and, and Joseph has them sit by age. And they're sitting there looking at each other like, how did he know this, right? And he serves them a meal, and he gives Benjamin a five times what he gives everybody else. And Joseph sits off by the side, and he's watching this whole dynamic happen. And then he gives them more grain, and he sends them on their way. But he puts a silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And as they're going down the road, right, his bodyguards come, and they, they come up, and they say, we're going to search it because a silver cup is missing. And they find it in Benjamin's sack. And everybody's like, oh, no, right, it's Benjamin. And they take Benjamin, and they head back, and all the brothers come back. And so we see in, in chapter 44, they're all standing there in front of Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph, and all the brothers are there, and he's going, you stole this. And Benjamin's like, I don't know. And they realize, man, their dad's going to be so brokenhearted. What's going to happen to him? And here's this dramatic moment of Joseph confronting his brothers. What will Joseph do, right? And Judah steps in. Judah, right, if you go back and study, in the line of the Messiah, Jesus comes in the line of Judah. And Judah steps in between Benjamin and Joseph. And he begins to plead and he says, take my life. Take my life for his. Take my life. My dad couldn't handle it. Take my life. And we end chapter 44 with this dramatic moment. What's Joseph going to do? What's going to happen? You're going to have to come back next week to find out, okay? So uh, I'm not going to tell you right now, all right? It's chapter 45 next week. But here's what I am going to tell you is this. There are some incredible lessons for us that we see in chapter 42, 43, and 44. So if you're taking notes, here you go. Number one, how to remain faithful to God even in the good times. How to remain faithful to God even in the good times. I mean, Joseph has been faithful to God, but he was a slave, and he was in prison, and it was hard. Will he be faithful to God in the good times? Here we go. Remember, it's God who gives success. It's God who gives success. You know, many times it's easy to hold on to God, right? They say there's no atheist in foxholes. Uh, there's not an atheist on an operating table, right? And you're in times of financial crisis or you're in times of struggle relationally. You call out to God. But in the times that are good, do you remember that it's God who gives success? And do you remember that it's God who gives success? See, every good thing we have comes from God. And what can happen and what can happen, and man, I'm just telling you, God's going to speak to you. I pray today, but this is going to be for you, I hope, in many years, because there's going to be times that are really good in your life. You're going to be like, I'm in a sweet season. And we can forget that every good thing we have comes from God. And we can start to go, well, I did this, right? I built this company. I made this money. I put all this stuff in my 401k. I got this car. I, I, I. And our language changes. And when your language starts to change, ding, 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 that's a problem, right? Because before it was like, God, I need you. God, help me. God, I'm yours. God, please deliver me. And then when it becomes I, 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 me, 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 we forget that every good thing comes from God. See, being faithful to God and success, I believe, is more difficult than in struggle. Being faithful to God in success is more difficult than a struggle. And here's the thing. God knows this about us. God knows this about us. In fact, if you want to turn, you're in Genesis, just turn over a few uh, books of the Bible over to Deuteronomy. That's the end of the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch right here. But Deuteronomy chapter 8 
In Deuteronomy chapter 8, you know, there's a lot that happens from Genesis to Deuteronomy. You know, the children of Israel end up in Egypt. They become slaves. God sends Moses, delivers them. And they're going back to the promised land. They're going back to Canaan. And here's what God tells them. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. He's like, you guys are down here in Egypt. You're calling out to me. But when you get back and you have all this stuff, hey, you praise the Lord your God. And that's why I think it's important. I mean, something simple when you pray before a meal and you just go, wait, wait, guys, before we eat this meal, I just want to say thank you to God because I realize that we have this provision from him. I just want to say thank you. See, he says, verse 11, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses, you have a fine house, and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, where does that come from? He says, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. He goes, don't forget me, guys. Don't forget me in the good times. I know, Joseph, you could be like, man, I'm going to have another chariot. And it's all about chariots and all these things, you know, but you have the success and power. But don't forget me, Joseph. Don't forget me, church. Don't forget me in the good times. Stay faithful in the good times and the success. Second is this, stay humble. Stay humble. You know, Joseph, he's in this place of power now, right? He's in this place of power over these guys. He's in this place where he can, boy, get revenge. And what the world would say is, get revenge. Look what they did to you. You get revenge right now. Hmm. But what does Joseph say? For I fear God. For I fear God. God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to trust you. You see, you may have people who you want to show up. Maybe there's a boss who fired you. Maybe there's a parent who didn't believe in you. You know what? Maybe there's a teacher who, who said you weren't going to amount to anything. You may have people you want to show up, but don't let that be your motivation or your validation. Don't live for that because I'm telling you, that's going to be empty at the end of the day. You live your life for God. You follow him. You trust him. You let Jesus be your motivation. You let Jesus be your validation. You find your worth and your value from them. God is with me. God is for me. He is in me. I'm living my life for the glory of God. Not what the world is going to say. Here's the deal, right? Pride goes before the fall. It happens every time. And what can happen so often is people get successful, more and more successful, and then it's all of a sudden, man, it turns in on ourselves. But stay humble. Stay humble. Stay humble. Where did you get the opportunity? Where did you get the opportunity to go to the college you went to? Where did you get the opportunity to inherit the money you did? Where did you get the opportunity to be born in the family you were born in? Why did you get the opportunity to be born in the United States? Stay humble. It all comes from the Lord. You know, there's a great business book that's out there. It's a secular book. It's a book on leadership. Many of you probably have read it. It's a Jim Collins book called Good to Great. He talks about five levels of leadership 
and, and this is a book that compares companies that succeed and companies that don't. He talks about really it comes down to leadership. And he looks at this in the lowest level of leadership all the way up to the fifth level, the best kind of leader. And a lot of us, we would say, you know, hey, looking at business, it's that leader, you know, who's in the three-piece suit, who's authoritative, who tells everybody what to do. He goes, no, 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 no. That's like a level four leader. A level five leader, he says this, they combine personal humility and professional will. Personal humility. And you're thinking, this is a business book. Yeah, it comes down to humility. Don't you want to work for a boss who is humble? Don't you want to be a boss who is humble? who gives the credit to others who really do the job, who looks out for other people, who puts other people before themselves. Hey, you stay humble. Even as you grow in your career, even as you grow in your success, you stay humble, Joseph did. Here's the third one, love others. Love others. You know, Joseph had a choice to make, right? He could get revenge on these guys, or he could have done this. Why am I even dealing with you guys? I mean, look who I am. I don't have time for you, just turn them away. Let them leave, walk away. I'm not dealing with these guys. They're the ones you have me throwing in. I'm not even touching them. I'm not even helping them. Forget it. You know, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. I don't care. I don't care. And sometimes what can happen, you get successful and then you stop caring about others. But here's love. Love is wanting the best for the other person. You know, after those three days of Joseph praying, what does he do? He's like, hey, load them up with grain. Give them their silver back. Hey, give them provisions for their journey. But make sure they take that grain because I know their families are starving. I know their families, their, their wives, their kids, and, and then they're starving back there. Just, just go ahead and take that back to them. Love is wanting the best for the other person. There's times you put boundaries in, you know, you got to protect yourself emotionally, physically, but, but you want the best for them. See, it takes spiritual maturity to love those who have wronged you. It takes spiritual maturity to love those who've wronged you. That's a whole different level, right? Even the Bible says it's easy to love the people who are nice to you. <laughs> it's easy to love the people who are kind to you. But when Jesus talks about love your enemies, that's a totally different level. But God's all about love. He's all about putting others before ourselves. He's all about taking care of meeting the needs of those around us. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Jeff, why, why do you keep going back to Moldova? You know, I mean, we started as a church 15 years ago. We went that summer, that very first summer, we took, you know, 18 people and went to Moldova in 2003. And I've gone every year since. And, and, and I said, you know, yeah, we've got a biblical mandate to go to Moldova, right? You know, Jesus tells us the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That's our call. That's our responsibility. The Bible tells us in James, the kind of religion that God sees as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans. We, we have a calling. We have a calling. But, but I also need it personally. Yeah, it's my calling. It's my responsibility. I love it. I love serving there. But I need it. I need it for me. I need to be there with our team. I love serving with our team. I love men and women and just locking arms together. But I love when you pour into an orphan child and you see them and you say, look at what God's doing in their life. Look at the hope and the joy that's coming in them. Look how much God loves them. And God loves them just as much as he loves all of us. God is at work over here just like God is working over here. God cares. God sees. 
This is sometimes we can kind of pull back, you know, into our house and close the garage and just like, but God's going, no, 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 I want you to be involved in your community. I want you to be involved in the world. I want you to have a different perspective. And when you're there and you start to see, and you see people who have literally nothing, I mean, physically, they have clothes, I mean, barely, you know, maybe one set of, uh, one shirt, one pair of pants, and one pair of shoes. And yet you realize that there's a joy. And you go, wait a minute, joy doesn't come just in massing more and more stuff. Joy comes in God. Joy comes in peace. Joy comes in serving. There's something different and I need it. And our call for every one of us, man, to love, to love. And Joseph, instead of just pushing them away, he engages. I'm going to step in here. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love your families. (laughs) Even though what you did to me was wrong, I'm still going to love And then number four, right, invest in what matters. Invest in what matters. I mean, Joseph could have kept buying more and more things there in Egypt. I mean, he had the money, he had the power, he had the success. But Joseph was in Egypt, but he was not of Egypt. (laughs) He was in Egypt, but he was not of Egypt. Egypt in the Bible represents the world. Jesus says, you're in this world, but you're not of the world. There ought to be something different about the way you live and the way you invest. See, be generous as you invest in what matters. Be generous as you invest in what matters. And I'm going to tell you, church, there's only three things that are eternal. There's three things that are eternal. God is eternal. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, right? He is always God. The time you spend with God, the time you have in worship, Sundays, giving it back to him, the times you're reading God's word, you're investing in things that are eternal. God's word is eternal. The Bible even tells us, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. Hey, it's eternal. And people are eternal. And when you invest in others, you are making an impact. You are making a difference that's going to last. It's going to impact generations, generations. You know, a lot of us would kind of go, well, Joseph, yeah, it's probably easy for him. He's successful, right? He's got a lot of money. He's got power. He's got prestige. I mean, he's like number two guy in the world. I mean, you know, if I had all of that, you know, it would be easy for me. Well, I kind of thought we might think that. So I kind of ran this uh, website. There's a website called Global Rich List. I don't know if you've ever seen this. But let me just show it to you right here because... I think we're all pretty successful. In fact, if you go on this website and you put in $20,000 a year, if your income is $20,000 a year, you are in the top 3.65% of the richest people in the world. $20,000 a year, okay? Now, for most people, you're just starting out, right? You're working at one job and you got to make that. But, but I would say, I would say most of us have probably gone on from there, made more than $20,000. So let's put in $45,000 a year. If you make $45,000 a year, U.S. dollars on your income, how about this? You're in the top 0.41% of the richest people in the world. Now, let me just kind of look at that number on the right. 24 million people. Do you realize that there's 7.4 billion people in the world? That's a B. Billion. You're in the top 24 million. Now, what if you go on and make 75,000? Because probably you're progressing. You're doing really good. Y'all are all smart. Everybody's doing great in their job. You kind of, over time, you may get up to $75,000. Look at this. You're in the top 0.11% of the richest people in the world by income. 
6 million out of 7.4 billion. The fact is this, we're all successful. (laughs) Every one of us sitting in this room. And the question to us is this, am I going to remain faithful to God? And am I going to let money define my success? Or am I going to let God define my success? For I fear God. Am I going to live my life for him? Am I going to invest in what matters? Or am I just going to buy into the things of this world? Number five is this. Do what you did at first. Do what you did at first. I love that Joseph brings them all up to his house. I love that he sets a dinner table and he puts them in order. It's like he just comes back and he says, hey, you remember this family meal? Remember when we were growing up and we all loved each other and it was right, it was good? I want to go back to that. There's a lot of life that's happened, but I want, I want that. Hey, don't forget this. Don't fall more in love with the dream than with God. You see, some of you, God's given you a dream. and you were young, God gave you a dream to make a lot of money. Or God gave you a dream to start a company. Or God gave you a dream to have a family. And what can so easily happen is that we fall in love with that dream. And then when that dream happens, and man, we just stay on the dream. And God's going, well, what about me? I'm the one who gave it to you. Well, God, I'm spending all my time over here. And God's going, no, no, no. Do what you did. Hold on to me. Trust me. Here's what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Do what you did at first. You know what? That's a great principle for your marriage. In fact, I just want to say, if you're married here today, and you feel like you're drifting in your marriage, do what you did at first. You remember when you were dating and you, you would write love notes? You remember you would go on dates? Like, you would actually do that? You would go out dates and spend time together? You, you remember you would bring flowers? You, do what you did at first, and the love's gonna come. And here's the thing, too. Same thing with God. Think about what you did when you felt closest to God. And probably when you were young and you're so involved and you were serving or you were in a Bible study and, and, and you were just, man, just on fire for the Lord. Do what you did at first. I love Truett Cathy. You know, Truett Cathy started Chick-fil-A and, and here he was, you know, growing up in a, in a church and going to worship and serving and teaching Sunday school. And you know what? When he was 70 years old, after making billion dollars, what was he doing? Going to church, teaching seventh grade boys in Sunday school. He stayed faithful. He stayed faithful. He stayed faithful. One of the saddest people in the Bible to me is a guy named Solomon who, who has all this money and all this power, all this success, and he just drifts from God. Just drifts. And at the end of his life, God says, I'm taking the kingdom. You left me. You left me. You know, Joseph, he stayed faithful. And when Joseph was a boy growing up and his dad made him this beautiful robe, this beautiful coat of many colors, Technicolor dream coat, right? And he wore this till 17. And his dad poured into him, right? He gave him a spiritual foundation, taught him. If you're a parent, man, teaching your kids, giving them that spiritual foundation, having them at church, helping them grow and learn. Because what he learned to 17 and having that spiritual foundation of the Lord sustained him on. Because one day this coat was taken from him. It was taken from him and it was traded. And it was traded for a slave coat. 
old, smelly slave coat. But even as a slave, Joseph knew that God was more interested in his character than his comfort. Even in the hard times, man, he held on to God. He wore this coat, but he had his heart with the Lord. One day, this was taken from him, and he left prison, and he traded this coat for a ruler's robe, a coat of purple and gold. And really quickly, he had a decision to make. Am I going to hold on to God, or am I going to buy into the world? What am I going to do? And he stayed faithful, and he stayed faithful, and he stayed faithful. See, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says this, rather clothe yourselves in Jesus Christ. Every morning when you wake up, you clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're my boss, my Lord, I'm living for you today. What do you want to do through me? Not my agenda, your agenda. Love through me, live through me. I'm yours. Because one day Joseph, just like all of us, stood before God. And Joseph would have to give an account of his life, just like every one of us is going to have to give an account of our life. But here's the good news of the gospel. Like Judah, who stepped in for Benjamin, Jesus steps in for every one of us. And Jesus says, hey, I know their sin and their total depravity, but God, take me. I'll pay the price for them. I love them. And Jesus takes our place. I don't know where you are today, but I know this. Our success comes in Christ and in Christ alone. God is with us. God is for us. And God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And whatever season you find yourself in, maybe you're in a great season or maybe you're in a hard season, God is there. And Jesus is for you. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And right where you sit, would you focus on Jesus? It's all about Christ. And maybe this morning is a, is a time of salvation for you and just saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I've, I've drifted. I've, I've started to buy into the world. It's all about money and success. and all. And God, I want you. I want you. Forgive me my sins. Restore me. Redeem me. Maybe today in your life, there's, there's somebody who's wronged you. And maybe today God's just saying, hey, what are you going to do? Maybe a day in your life you, you kind of find yourself in a position of leadership in your home, your marriage, or maybe at work with your employees, or maybe even teaching on a Sunday morning or a camp. Jesus, love through me. Everything for your name and for your glory, I'm yours. So Father God, here we are, your disciples. But Father, today, I pray that we know we are blessed. You have given us so much. And yet we spend so much of our days wanting more and more and more. But today, I pray that you would find us faithful right where we are. That we would love, that we would be generous, that we would invest in what matters and what's going to last. And God, that you would find us faithful all the days of our lives until we stand before you one day. And we just say it's all been about Jesus. Thank you for Jesus.
So this morning, God, we just want to focus on Christ and Christ alone. Draw us near to your heart today, oh God. Speak to us right now.